following now the next episode is one of four podcasts featuring local manufacturers rising to meet the challenges COVID-19 has presented. Today's episode features Greg Vandalin, CEO of Lionswood Banquet Furniture, and Christopher Helmrath, founder and managing director of SCH Capital, discussing some of the most important strategies they've implemented in this pivot or perish environment. Manufacturing is taking a dramatic change in this COVID pandemic. And here in Baltimore, we're seeing it live and in action right in the heart of the city. As a company that's been in business since the early 1900s, Lionswood Banquet has now transformed itself to be something even more to its customers and prospects in the market. With us today is Greg Bandolin, the president and CEO of Lionswood. Nice to have you, Greg. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So Greg, take us back a little bit. 1913, the beginning of the company, four generations ago in the family. Where has the company gone and kind of where has it been up to, say, several years ago so that we can really focus in your time as president and CEO and what you've been able to do with the company to take it in its growth phase and then more importantly, what's happened in this pandemic? So the company started, again, in 1913 uh, as, a, as a molding company, molding and millwork, Bosley Moldings. Around 2005, uh, an offshoot of Bosley Moldings called Lionswood. It's Lionswood Tables when it, when it first started. Uh, as a little niche market, custom wood tables for the hospitality industry. Uh, you know, uh, hotels, country clubs, kind of smaller end places, not the, not the big boys yet. Uh, and it started developing from there. Um, it was a, a smaller size company uh, during that time from say 05 to 2014 or so, 2015, it started to get a little bit of a ramp up as you know, uh, development started taking place, some name recognition, quality, um, customization started coming in. Um, I came in a little over four years ago now and we, uh, decided to do a ramp up, kind of shift the model a little bit from the, the really small mom and pop uh, type you know, setting to how do we become a, a true global manufacturer. Uh, and that's been the focus uh, over the past four years. Uh, we've had great success with it from getting into more than just the, the wood aspect of fabrication into full metal fabrication stone, glass, high-density polyethylenes, and then picking up one uh, new technology for induction and lithium uh, to make really energy efficient and portable products uh, you know, for the marketplace. So our, our strategy has developed to a point where we don't stock any product. And that's uh, the differentiating factor here between us and and other companies. We stock material, right? And I have a tremendous amount of tradesmen uh, on the factory floor. We fabricate exactly what the customer needs. Um, and, and what that means for our business model is, uh, and this will be directly COVID related, um, when there's a change, a especially a drastic and dramatic change like COVID has been, in the market and in the hospitality field, especially for banquets and buffets and, and dining and restaurants, we're not sitting on inventory. So we can quickly develop and, and push out products that are effective and 
you know, serve the communities and 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 serve our customers and, and clients. Uh, the the beauty of that of that is everything that you see coming out from Lionswood is customer driven. Right? We don't have a think tank where we're we're sitting back saying what product can we sell to the market today, right? It's it's people that trust us that are coming to us saying, hey, we have an issue, and we're going to trust you to solve it. And that's how our products are developed and born. And you know, a lot of trial and error, but you know, we can develop products in in a, in a day. Sometimes, if it's a you know basic enough concept, we can have a prototype up and running in 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 a workday. Talk a little bit about the interaction. You 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 talk about the marketplace and your customers. Let's dig in a little bit. Talk a little bit about how you interact with customers or prospects and how you get to learn what their needs are or how do you help them to understand what they might not even understand themselves to be that leading provider of the products that they then buy? Well, our, our sales approach is, is, is different. You know, we'll start there. It's different than uh, what we call the, the typical model, the used car salesman type model, right? We're not going in and, you know, I again, I have A, B, and C to sell to you. Would you like to buy A, B, or C? You know, it's it's more of a conversation. It's more relationship building. You know, walkthroughs on the properties, finding out where their weaknesses are, where their strengths are, what they're trying to capitalize on. You know, uh, how their F and B is doing. You know, throughout the board, and we take a hard look. And you know, people are very forthcoming with the problems that they're having in their in their businesses. And they're looking for solutions so we we just sit through and we we talk through would this would this make it easier well if we we did this and put these two pieces together right now you you have less labor you have less you know less time out there and you're able to more efficiently serve in a in a you know in a prettier manner right because it also has to be attractive and appealing to the to the outside uh, so talk a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes in the plant. So you've got equipment, you've got technology, you've got skilled labor that's allowing you to think this way. Talk a little bit about that interaction of the sales approach and then how you integrate that back in with your skilled labor to be able to do something, as you said, within a day that allows you to be truly flexible and agile. Well, a typical day usually starts here around around 6 a.m. And it starts with the calls from the night before because we have a lot of international business as well. So it usually starts with a little powwow between production management and, and some of our lead guys and design and engineering. And we're going to throw out a concept. And they, they typically look at us like we're crazy. Um, and we say, look, we, we have to figure this out. Let's Let's come up with a way. And then it's bouncing back between all different types of fabrication, the ideas. Again, we talked about metal, wood, glass, high density polyethylenes, all those materials, right? So we're not pigeonholed into saying, well, this has to be a stainless steel product or this has to be a wood product, or, this has to be a raw steel product, right? And we can usually come up with a reasonable game plan in a short amount of time. Hey, this could work, this, this might not work. Let's try a piece of this and you know, let's see how this stands up on its own. Let's see how easy this is to maneuver. Let's see how reasonable this is. Let's see how cost-effective this is. Um, and, and typically, if we stay within our wheelhouse of materials, which we, we try to, um, we get a pretty good bead on where this is going to land from a costing perspective, 
our guys are really good at, at being honest with us about the time it'll take to, to build something, what they'll have into it. And it, it usually moves through like that. Um, it's a lot of trial and error. So we, we break a lot of products here. Uh, we, we build it, we break it. Once we break it, we figure out where it broke and we build it again until it stops breaking. Um, Pre-COVID, we had quite a few larger chains that we did a lot of prototyping with. If we had a new concept or, or a new idea, we would build the product and send it down to a high volume establishment and and let them run at it and tell us their their real thoughts and, and you know, road test it as, as we like to say. So talk a little, oh, I'm sorry, talk a little bit about, talk a little bit about what happens. So the beginning of March happens and the market shifts, the market changes. A lot of your customers, their business model gets turned upside down. And I would guess many of them didn't have the foresight to be able to come to you and go, hey, we'd like to have this. Talk a little bit about how you went to them and said, how can we help? And how you drove innovation with some of those customers you had previously where you now started producing products that you would have never thought you would have produced before? Uh, interesting. Uh, beginning of March happens, total chaos. It went from uh, the busiest place, like the, the floor of the, the stock market, right? Uh, just constant running around, chaos all the time, uh, phone calls, emails, to dead silence in the matter of two days. Every Everything quieted, and it, it got very scary. Um, we got a call from some uh, really, really solid customers, uh, some, some people in higher level positions that, you know, oversee, you know, a couple hundred properties, a couple hundred establishments at a time. And they said, look, you know, this is, is going to be an issue. Um, we don't know what to do, right? And that's been the common theme. We don't know what to do. And a lot of it is because there hasn't been a lot of direction from the government or local municipalities on how to reopen, what the plan is, hasn't really been established, right? So we had to take a step back with them and say, all right, where, where are your highest driven revenue points in your establishments, right? If, if we can get something open, right, where do you want it to be? And typically that revolves around a bar or a, or a food service, depending on the location. So then we have to take a step back and say, okay, how do we start protecting people inside of these places? And, and not just protect them, but also give the illusion of safety, right? Because people also have to feel like they're protected when they, when they come in, right? So some of it might be overkill with what we're doing. Some of it might not be. Uh, again, we don't know. Um, but somebody has to walk in and be like, all right, I feel reasonably safe here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna patron to patronize this establishment. And I'm going to sit down and I'm going to have a drink. Uh, that's where the bar barriers came up from. And we started looking at what is a bar stool worth in a bar? So is a bar stool worth $300 a night? Is it worth $500 a night? Is it worth $1,000 a night? Well, it depends on the establishment. So how can we come up with a cost-effective product that you could roll into a bar that will protect the bartender, the bar, and the patrons at the same time and is easily movable? So if you have groups of six people, you can move these dividers, put six bar stools in between the dividers, and that's a group. If you have, you know, three groups of two, you can also do that using the sectionalized system. Um, 
And we've got a lot of really positive feedback on that. I know we partnered with Clyde's and in, in rolling out that program through all their establishments through Maryland, DC, and Virginia. It's been a lot going out to the West Coast, ramping up on that side and, you know, throughout the country, but kind of seems to be the, the, the coast is on both sides of the country or what's kind of pushing for the opening right now. So as a leader, you're having to balance two dynamic paradigm shifts. You've got customers that are in the world of, oh my gosh, what now? How did you deal with your employees? How did you keep them focused on, we need to be creative, we need to be there to make this happen for them? And how much interaction really had to go on? Or was it, hey, this is just another day in the office, let's go, let's do it? I, I'd like to say it was another day in the office, but it was not. Uh, we, we had to make some extremely tough decisions here early on. And we we paused. We took a, a five-day pause uh, to see where the dust settled. And we decided at at that point, uh, we had uh, some of our staff that we didn't feel would, would follow proper COVID-related safety procedures, right? Protocol. So we, we did do some layoffs on that and, and kept with the ones that we assumed would, would follow the right guidelines, social distancing, not running out. Uh, not gathering that kind of thing. Uh, so that was kind of the first step in in putting this plan in place. Once we established, you know, who was who the core was, who was going to be here full time, um, then we just started throwing things at the wall. We challenged everyone with, what materials do we have a, a in stock that we have overstock of that could be antimicrobial and easy to fabricate and cost effective for, you know, from the Four Seasons all the way down to Joe's Bar on the corner. Right, because we have to encompass every type of establishment at this point. Uh, there is, for this setting, it's not delineated between the the level of stars on your on your rating, right? Um, so from there, we we started gathering lists of what we had, what would be the easiest to fabricate, what would be the cheapest to fabricate, and then everybody started pitching in. You know, if we if we buy this piece of equipment, we'll be able to bend this acrylic much quicker. Right, and that we're saving four minutes a piece, which equates to a dollar figure, and we can send it out that much cheaper per. And everybody's really chipped in and and figured it out. Uh, we've become much more efficient since this COVID uh, outbreak, you know, which is crazy. We had a conversation about it this morning. We've had a lot less damage to the product, a lot less in, in internal issues. I feel like everybody here is so grounded and focused right now. Uh, everybody's grateful to be working. A lot of companies where people aren't working right now. So everybody's grateful, um, including myself, I'm extremely grateful for where we're at right now. <clears throat> and it's become a really, really smooth process. That's, but again, that goes back to leadership and that you built a process and you built a, a, a passion and a, and a personality within the shop that allowed you to do that. Talk a little bit about from what you've learned now in the so let's say 10 weeks of what we've gone through. Have you started to see new opportunities with clients that you are segments of clients that you would have never thought you'd have access to prior to this? I, I have. It's really opened us up. We, we've, we've done a, a lot of healthcare work uh, in the past, and but it's been a smaller segment for us. The amount of contacts we've made through the healthcare industry alone nationally has been staggering because they're also looking for solutions, right? And 
when I say healthcare, I'm also chiming into assisted living and, and those types of facilities, which have been extremely hard hit. Uh, we've done a lot of protective barriers. Uh, we've done a lot of consulting on how food service is going to look inside of these facilities moving forward, um, especially some of the more higher end facilities uh, that, you know, they still have to keep a certain image. How can we, you know, keep it safe? Um, it's been it's been our fastest growing segment uh, this year. The year to date, healthcare is the fastest growing segment, and then I believe it's strictly because because of COVID. It's opened up to opportunities and you know the the word gets passed along. We build quality product, we build it quick, and and we get it to you with without issue. And uh, you know it's it's paying dividends at this point. So when you talk to some of these systems that you're speaking with, whether it be assisted living, healthcare systems, or food systems, do they see you differently against your competition now than they did before? And does competition even come up? because you are a leader and you're bringing them solutions that they themselves didn't even know existed? That, that's a good question. So the the answer to that, and, and this is what we're really hoping, it's still gonna shake out a little bit, but all of our competitors and pretty much everybody out there on the market is importing, right? They're, they're importing products from China, India, you know, uh, pretty much those two regions are, are the focus. They're all coming out of the same few factories. I mean, there's catalogs with the same product and everybody's private labeling it, bringing it in and it's sitting. And we've seen a real push for, you know, made in the USA, which has always been our, it's always been our tag. We make everything here. It's American labor, it's American parts. Uh, but to to be able to do that now at this day, this is where we're rising to the top because there has been a lot of supply chain issues from India and from China uh, since the COVID outbreak. And our competitors can't restock, which is fantastic for us because we can go ahead and make it just like uh, hand sanitizer stands, uh, uh, forearm door pulls, foot grafts to open a door, you know, little simple products that are 100% made in China don't have to be made in China at all. Um, we've been able to do it with relative pricing comparable to what the Chinese products would cost and it's you know made here in the United States so it's it's kind of been a blessing in disguise and it's it's great so as you're now looking forward to say the next 10 weeks what are the biggest barriers you think that you're going to face given some of this change that's occurring and how do you deal with those barriers the biggest barrier we have in front of us now is the control uh, of the state and local governments and allowing people to reopen and the different restrictions that are going to be implemented in order for them to open and start reopening in phase one, phase two, phase three, and however many phases they, they come out with, because there's no general consensus on what that should be. So we have to develop products in many different levels at this point the same spoon you can't use in two different counties, right? So we've got to figure out how can we make a product that we can fabricate in a way that we can change it to hit all of these guidelines. And it's pages and pages and pages and pages of guidelines for different regions. That's our, our most challenging uh, job right now. And it's our task. And we've been asked from Northern California, which is extremely difficult, always has been right uh, on, a, on a national level with their with their standards 
you know, to New York City, to, to Florida, to Texas. Um, everyone is different. And then that's the issue right now. And and while that is a, I get it, and that's going to be difficult to get through, but isn't that going to be your greatest competitive advantage at the same time? That, that, is, how, that is how we're going to do it. It's It's because it's not who else, not to call out anybody, but it's you're now being able to come to somebody in Northern California versus Lincoln, Nebraska versus Atlanta, Georgia, and you can pivot and move and give them a solution that isn't a catalog-based solution, but that is truly unique to them that meets their needs that they may not have thought they could have gotten before. That, that's exactly right. And that, that, that it will be our competitive edge and advantage. Uh, it always has been, right? Uh, that's where our success is lied, is, is being able to, to pivot. Uh, we look at it here as pivot or perish, right? I mean, it's either you move or, or you're not going to be here uh, for very long. And it, it's huge demand. Uh, but one of the things that, that really needs to, to be pushed to the customers and the clients and even the, the smaller places, larger places, all of it, you don't have to buy, uh, we always say this very simply, you don't have to buy that table, right? That table hits six out of the 10 points that you need. Buy the table that you want, which hits 10 of the 10 points. The price point is still relevant and it's still around the same. It's so again, stop catalog shopping and get exactly what you want. Quality, you know, handmade American goods that are providing many, many middle-class, you know, jobs here in the regions. So as a leader, the opportunities are enormous. How do you focus on those that you believe you can be most successful with and that your team can achieve in finding that balance? That's, that's a tough question. Uh, we we kind of look at all opportunities the same, right? Uh, from our stadium work to our government work to, to the smallest of, of places, right? Because in, in our industry, in the hospitality industry, it's, it's a very transient industry. So you may have a, a chef that's working at a very small restaurant and she's Lincoln, Nebraska, for example, right? And, and they see something they like. And if you give them the, the care and the time and the customer service that, that they really want and deserve, they, they shift positions every couple of years, right? And, and most of the times they're, they're leveling up and moving up the ladder. And before you know it, that chef is a, is a head chef at the Four Seasons, right? So we kind of look at all opportunities the same. We work off the same margin on all opportunities, right? It's our manufacturer's margin. And we, we do, we treat them all with the same respect, the same time, the same care, and the same processes. So the larger opportunities, yes, they, they do take a little bit more time. Um, there's a lot of logistics involved in it. But... The smaller opportunities can also take up a lot of time because these smaller establishments that only have a couple of thousand dollars to spend or less than a thousand dollars to spend, that's that's gold to them, right? That's not capital expense money. That's that's money they're pulling and saving from the registers in order to get a piece that they need to be successful. So the the, the care and time really needs to be placed with those guys as well to help them thrive. So as you're dealing with all this, it's not like you're 80 years old and you've seen, you know, 50 years of, of economic experience. 
what are you drawing on in your career that's allowed you to think this way and give you the confidence to lead the company as we continue to go on in this changing environment? Well, I made it through an economic downturn downturn in uh, you know 2008. I, I think that what it is is a lack of fear, right? It's I wouldn't even necessarily call it experience. It's just a lack of fear. We know what we have to do. You, If you want to be successful, you have to get it. You have to take chances. You have to take risks. Some of them are calculated. Some of them are not, right? It's a, it's a risk is a risk, but, you know, is the juice worth, worth the squeeze? And it's a risk-reward situation. Um, so I think with us, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to take the risk at, at where we're at because, again, we're not paying the tooling. We're not paying to have another company engineer a product for us, right? We're, we're designing that product in-house. It's all going against uh, my GNA anyway, right? Uh, you know, everybody's, there's no pay cuts. There's no salary reductions. There's no time reductions. Like, let's just do it, you know, let's just make it happen and, and do it. So it, it's really, I don't want to say it's not as difficult as, as what it is, but we just have, we're so fluid and we have so much flexibility in what we do with only stocking material that it, it just makes our life so much easier. Okay, so the tough question, so oftentimes innovation happens because somebody says, wow, this is crazy. Why would anybody want this or do this? And then you find out years later, it was truly revolutionary. Mm. What's the craziest thing you've heard in these last 10 weeks that you hung up the phone and said, that is absolutely nuts, but that could absolutely be something which is transformative five, 10 years from now? Well, this is not the craziest thing I've heard. I've heard some really crazy things that just don't make any sense that I don't even want to talk about. Really weird things. But where we're at and what we think is the, the craziest idea out to the general public, right, is our is the eBuff A solution. Um, this is something that we've been doing for, for years now on a different level and for different purposes, but it's utilizing our patented induction, which is extremely energy efficient, and our lithium technology. So we can bring a battery-operated service anywhere, right? You can have an event for four, five, six hours. No need to plug it in. You can have events anywhere, which is great for aesthetics and, and functionality. But now, how that comes into play is you look at chains. Let's take Golden Corral, for example. Big chain, yeah, 630-some locations in the United States, all buffets. So what do you do with their business model? Right, they have these giant buffets in every store. Uh, they're a buffet restaurant. They can't open, right? There's no safe way for them to open right now. So we use the e-buffet system. Let's build the battery-operated buffets from hot food, cold food, static food. The guests will stay in their seats and you're bringing the buffet to them with one server, handing out the food. You know, it's safe, contamination-free. Um, it, when I started laying this out in this concept, I said, wow, that's that's a crazy idea because you're talking about a mass scale and you're talking about changing an industry, right? But at that time, you know, I said this earlier, it's pivot or perish, right? That just doesn't apply to me. That also applies to these large chain buffet style restaurants. If you can't open, you will perish, right? So what do you do? Come up with a solution. 
So we started doing the ROI on this and it's like, okay, we look at what it costs out to build a typical Golden Corral size establishment. Buffet portion, you're looking at about $185,000 to build it out in a typical store. Well, I can provide the e-buffet system for 40% of that, right? It gives them the same functionality, same amount of food, same coverage. Economical solution, right? Makes sense. When all this is over, because this will end at, at some point, there's no doubt about that, all of these mobile solutions can lock into place and give them back their, their center buffet just like they want it. Um, so while being crazy, because we're talking about changing billions and billions of dollars in industry, it's a simple solution. If you had to leave us with one thought of a tagline for manufacturing that before, as you said, I produce a table, it has four legs, it's made of wood, it's sturdy, and it will last you forever. And that thinking, what is the tagline for manufacturing going forward? And I hear the pivot or perish, but what would you tell the manufacturing community is going to be most important that you've learned in the success you've had in this pivot or perish environment? Again, a good question. Uh, not prepared for that one. But I would say the uh, it's more or less, if I were speaking to other manufacturers, it, it's not even a tagline. I don't, I don't think I have one. It's you, you must adapt. You must become fluid and become much less dependent on foreign nations for your materials and supplies. That's it. It's not a tagline. It's just, it's a way of life now. And I think we're all learning that very quickly. And it's probably the first time in history that we've ever seen this kind of a dramatic shift occur where we've seen it happen right before our eyes fast. And I compliment you on your leadership. I compliment you on what you've been able to do for your customers. And we look forward to watching you succeed as you continue on in the markets. And uh, we'll learn what eating is out is like again. And we'll probably be seeing your products uh, making that happen. So Greg, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for the time. Greatly appreciate it. To listen to the remaining podcasts in this series and learn more about SCH Capital, please visit schcapital.com.